Welcome to the Tome Show. I don't know. This is behind the DM screen. It is April of 2021. We are. This is. Uh, yeah, we're we're three DMs. We're talking about our games. We're helping each other out. Uh, with me today, I'm Jeff. With me today, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing today. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Uh, Mike. Mike Shea's <laughs> with us. Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com. How you doing? Hello. I'm doing well. Uh, also with us is Sam. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Hello. Shall we do this thing? Shall we actually have a conversation about our games? Sure. Let's All do right. it. Of course, Sam would say that because, Sam, you're up first. You have 15 oh, minutes. Tell us about it. your games. All right. Well, so I ended uh, the last episode that we talked about with uh, the fact that my um, my my party, um, they defeated the moose in the Lonelywood uh, quest, and they... Uh, went back to Lonelywood and they confronted Davrick Fane and had uh, they were having the the festival of Oral there and they confronted him and they ended up uh, killing him because he he turned a bunch of citizens into pillars of ice and uh, when the next day they went to investigate his his home and they found that the whole entire bottom floor was nothing but just stacks of firewood and there was a huge um, a huge uh, a wood stove there that was just filled to the brim and burning as hot as it could and uh above it was a nest with a big rimaraz egg in it and so they took that and they destroyed it and they went and they told uh the speaker speaker huddle in lonely wood about it and then they left town but when they were at the festival acting or or putting on their little show with the celestial ASMR and everybody thought oh it's an aspect of oral you know um Velen Harpel was there and didn't fall for their stuff and just said, you know, oh, well, uh, you know, let's talk about this. So anyway, they exchanged information. And I think uh, on the last episode, I ended with what happened at the end of the previous session, which was that Velen Harpel was going to attempt to uh, dispel the Psy Crystal. And remember, in my game, the Psy Crystal is acting as a conduit for Torog. And Velen Harpel was going to dispel it based on what the party asked her to do. And I rolled a one when I rolled to see if she dispelled it. So it did not dispel it. But then they lied to the player, to, to the PC, who wanted that, who was bonded to that Psy Crystal. And um, so there was a little bit of drama there. Okay. And then uh, they, they went over back to the Elven Tomb to talk to Sonar, the Pumpkin Spice Mummy. And Sonar talked to them about uh, what the Psy Crystal, how they might be able to actually, what what kind of forces they could use to dispel it and whatnot, and told them, well, you know, you might need some uh, some Mithalar, and you know, Mithalar used to run the the really big nethery cities that were floating around around the world. It was one of the things that powered those, and so that definitely is strong enough to to disrupt this bond between, you know, the, the PC and, and the Psy Crystal, which is obviously a conduit for something really powerful. And so Velen Harpel stayed with Sonar because, of course, Velen Harpel is an Arcane Brotherhood agent, and Sonar is a mummy of a Netherese wizard. So, of course, 
the party left her there, not realizing that that could be very, very dangerous. And they went to go travel towards Karakonig. But instead of going through the towns, they were cutting across the the plains. They're going to go by uh, Kelvin's Cairn and then make it to Karakonig. So I had them run into a blizzard where they found respite from the blizzard in a tiny little black cabin that Ooh. is in the <laughs> wilderness. So they go in there. They're trying to check it out to make sure it's safe. And they see there is a... Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, that that piece of equipment. Um, they call it the Summer Star, and so it's basically this uh, this gyroscope around a sort of burnt black piece of whatever something. Well, when you walk into the cabin, so huge spoilers here, people. When you walk into the cabin, it's on the ground next to a table. There are blast marks all over the room, and there's a dead. There's the remnants of a dead body there. So it's pretty telegraphed that if you touch that thing, something might go wrong, right? So the party who has been... So, you know, the, this, the reason that I talked about that other stuff is that the PC who had the Psy Crystal has the Psy Crystal back now, and Torog is talking to him again. And so the uh, so the problem is that he's really mad because they took the Psy Crystal from him, and uh, they basically, the only reason they gave it back is because he promised that he wouldn't touch anything without asking ever again, right? Well, the whole time they travel with him. But of course now, here's the new shiny in the middle of the room, and this PC really, really wants to touch it. So the whole the group is going around and trying to look in every room in the cabin to make sure that it's clear of danger and whatnot and eventually they get to the point where they've cleared all the rooms they've they've found some interesting things but that gyroscope is still out there and so the pc says hey i'm gonna go see if i can do like a like an identify or something on it because they can tell that it's obviously magical right so the PC, who is a tabaxi, okay, climbs on top of the table, and the way I described it was the gyroscope's on the ground next to the like remains of the dead body, right? The PC climbs onto the table and gets tries to get as much of their body as far away as possible and then reaches their toe down to touch the gyroscope in order to try to, to identify it, right? Because you have to be in contact with the item to identify it. And nobody else is in the room, but one of them, one of the other PCs was in the hall. And of course, the thing explodes as soon as you touch it, right? And so this enormous ball of radiant energy comes out, and it does something like... Um, 10d10 plus 35. Yeah, so the, I rolled, and it did like 65 or 67 damage or something like that. But the PC, the player made their save. They rolled like a 19 on the die. So they made the save. So they only took half damage. If it had done like four more damage, yeah, it's ninety it on it's ninety it on half or on yeah, it's right. ninety average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if if it had done like four or five more points of damage, it would have completely incinerated that PC, and they they would be gone because that's what that's what it says is if they, if they, if it hits them and completely kills them more than their you know negative hit points or whatever, they're they're gone. And so did a ton of damage um but the thing is that with the way that i set it up that gyroscope that that stone in the middle of it i said that i, I had decided previously it's mythalar so when he touched that thing and it exploded 
it broke the bond between the PC and Torog because it it uh, it it basically dispelled the Psy Crystal. It, it made it so the Psy Crystal could no longer uh, actually be a conduit for Torok. Torok's power is too great and it weakened the crystal. And for those listening so, uh, either in the stream or, or later for the first time, uh, Torog is not part of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, but it is in Sam's campaign. Right. So in my campaign, I replaced Asmodeus's influence with Torog because I'm tired of Asmodeus. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> also in the regular campaign, that um, the, the Psy Crystal actually is just a conduit for you to be able to figure out that Trex the Cobalt in the mine in Termalane is possessed by a ghost, or that you can you can actually connect that to the it ascendant um illicit uh ceramorph quest that's in there. So there's lots of ways to work that Psy Crystal and I chose to use the Psy Crystal to bring in um Torog to it. So that no the the PC did not die. Um the the thing exploded and it 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 dispelled the psi crystal that the PC had been holding. So it broke the bond with Torog. The PC was almost dead. I mean, I mean, it killed them. They they had to be healed with magic immediately. Otherwise, they were going to be completely gone. They were going to make death saves and it was going to be horrible. But it didn't do so much damage that it completely obliterated them. Although it was only about four four hit points away from that. Um but now that PC is freaking out because their bond with Torog is gone. So the group decides they're going to look around to try to figure out what this thing is. Nobody wants to touch it, of course, because they're afraid it's going to explode again, right? Which, of course, by the book, it doesn't actually explode again. Once it explodes once, it's the thing is over, and now you can actually pick it up and find out what it does. Yeah, but they don't know that. Yeah, they don't know that. But I, I gave them a bunch of – I said there's a bunch of like uh, blueprint-style manuscripts everywhere, right? Um, and so they could, they kind of, one of the PCs sort of was searching around and figured out a whole bunch of stuff about what might have been going on in that cabin. But nobody wants to touch it. Anyway, meanwhile, as they're trying to tell the PC that was really hurt to rest, they see lights outside. And when one of them looks out the window, they see cold light walkers walking towards them. And they are freaked out because the only other time they've seen the cold light walkers were they see they sort of see them randomly wandering around the wilderness a couple of times and when, the first time they saw it they kind of trailed the all I, all I did was describe kind of a a humanoid shaped body walking in the distance you can't really tell what's going on or what they what's happening they have a light source but you're not they don't look like they're going in any direction of of any place that you've been so you don't know where they might be going so the party goes and, and tails them and at some point, the cold light walker just sort of abruptly turned 90 degrees to randomly go in a different direction. And they see that the light source is the thing's head, and they don't see anything else, and it freaks them out. So they hightail it back to town. They're like, forget this. No way. We're out of here. We're going. So they they leave. But now they're scared of those things because they know it's creepy, fey, or undead BS, right? They're like, oh, man, forget this. So now they're being approached by three cold light walkers surrounding the cabin. And of course, because the way I'm playing it, right, the the conduit, you know, Oral and Torog are connected. They're trying to free each other, right? So so since that so since the the bond with Torog got broken and since the Mithilar got triggered because the way I'm doing it or in my game, Oral knows that maybe activating a bunch of Mithilar can 
provide a way for Torog to become freed because he's stuck in the Underdark. So, you know, now that that Mythalar got activated in the gyroscope and now that the Psy Crystal has been broken, the Cold Light Walkers are being sent by Oral to go, you know, see who's doing this. So they converge on there. We have this huge battle. The three Cold Light Walkers almost take my players out, but they eventually overcome that and they, they win and, and then they rest for the night because now they can't go anywhere because they're so not just the one that almost died originally, but they're just so it, I almost killed probably three PCs um, on in that session. And that's where we ended. And then uh, and then my next session, the one session after that, because I only play every two weeks, that session, which would have been last week, got canceled. So my next session is actually tomorrow. So I've only got one session worth of stuff to report, but that's good because I only have, looks like, what, two minutes left? Uh, um, two minutes, 20 <laughs> seconds, yep. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about how you know, there's a lot of things in here that aren't really connected. You you kind when, of when you say deep. when you say last week, you mean last month. We do this month. Oh, did I say last week? <laughs> last, month. last time we recorded. Yes. You know, the thing about this this book is there's so many unconnected things in here. They're really just it's like okay, this thing is happening right there, and this thing over here is happening right there, and and as I mentioned last time, like that's not the you know that's that's part of what makes it sandboxy is that the events are only tangentially connected but the book could go a lot it could do a lot more to help the dm connect the things and so the good thing though about it the interesting thing maybe is my game is going to be totally different than everybody else's because the connections i'm making and the connections my party is making are way different from what any i mean i'm sure mike's game is completely different from from mine the direction that he's going is probably way way different from the direction i'm i'm taking so that's something interesting so there's a lot of commonalities between anybody that's that's running you know rhyme and and those games are going to have some very similar things then there's going to be some really different things so that's just something interesting i don't know yeah it's, i'm if, if yeah. you know not to steal some of your two minute of time <laughs> oh he stopped it so i'm cool. just tapping it to say so it doesn't fall asleep stay awake um right. I, I too. So I com- I think I mentioned this last time too that I complained a lot about this adventure when I first got it and first read it and I tried to apply a structure to it because I felt like it didn't have enough structure. And the more I'm running it, the more like that structure went out the window too. And I'm finding it's better to just kind of run the adventure mostly as is. And I am finding that it has a tremendous amount of freedom for me to add all kinds of interesting things that's not getting in the way of the stuff that's in the book. So I think they, they really did a, a good job of keeping mm-hmm. it Lots of open, lots of open areas with lots of ho- areas for hooks to come in, and I'll right. talk about some of those in mind. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, well, no, and I think I think uh, I think Sam and I would both agree that that's the case with the book. Sam, it sounds what what I'm hearing from you, Sam, though, is that you just wish there was there was more like connection between the various elements of the sandbox. Like they don't have to be the, telling the same story, but if if one if something was happening in one place was like the result of something happening in another place, or if there was some sort of uh, reason to that to for the players to sort yeah, of spider web so, around. So one of my issues with the book actually, so, so there's two things going on. I feel like for a new DM, this book is going to be really hard to run <laughs> mm-hmm. because they might not just immediately understand how to make those connections. Right. Cause that's a still a skill that you get as you learn to DM and as you DM more. So it might be harder and it might not be as smooth and it might not feel as good 
to the newer DM. But I don't know because I'm not a new DM. I'm just suspecting that because of the way the book is structured. But the second thing going on is uh, the book for me is in the wrong order. I want to do chapter one and chapter two where I'm in the Icewind Dale, but I'm not going to end with the, the city under the ice with Yithrin. That's happening after the dragon for me. And they're not meeting Oral until the end because I'm making Oral the main villain. Oral and Torog are the main villains in this, right? And so the Dwergar are the tool of, of, of Torog, and there's a whole bunch of other, you know, there's a whole bunch of cultists that are the tool of Oral, but Oral is my main villain, and so they're not going to meet her, you know, in the, the way the book's written, I think the party is supposed to meet her in chapter five, is it, or something? Yeah, something like they that. They go to her house, right? And then there's but two there's, more chapters after, yeah. Yeah, there's two more chapters, so I'm sort of flipping it, and they're they're going to be following the Torog trail a little bit more. And so they're going to do the the dragon thing and the Dwergar thing. That's why they're going to Kerkonic because they're going to do the unseen task. And then then they're going to end up getting the clues from Sinar and Velen Harpel to end up going to the caves and Yithrin. Then they're going to come back and have their final showdown with Oral because to me she's the main event. Right. That's you know, good, you, that's and, and, I, and I, yeah, I think that's a good strategy as well. What, what I'm part of what I'm hearing though is much as much, and this has been true for a lot of Watsy published adventures lately. That I find I've I enjoy that not even lately. I enjoy them more when I pick up sort of supplemental stuff from people I know and trust on DMs Guild. You know. Um, uh, I have heavily influenced my Descent into Avernus game with um, um, the Encounters in Avernus product, the Helterel product. I've added some other things in the intro that I use to help introduce the, the game. Um, I've, I've uh, recently started using the, the DMs bundle from Eventier. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've found to be really helpful. And, and that one also has this nice like breakdown of, okay, here's the way it lays out and here's how to sort of interpret some things. But also, mm-hmm. like here's how you can make some of these connective things and make this thing flow a little bit differently in ways that might be interesting. Um, it's actually, um, I've been pleasantly surprised with it. And then I just recently picked up another one that is, um, I forget who wrote it, but it's... Um, deeper descent into Avernus that just came out like last week uh, <laughs> and, and which is you feel like is late but it's perfect for me because I'm right. in the middle of running descent um, mm-hmm. which which is this person bas- it basically is a big product kind of like the DMs bundle that that's like um, hey you know what would have been nice is if the the dead three cult would have actually mattered in this story that was like the big right. hook at the beginning and so they've woven all this stuff for the dead three right. gods and whatever through the whole story um, and it seems to be really well put together, um, so I look forward to sort of playing around with that a little. Point being, yeah. um, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, because of its sort of disconnected nature, feels like this. It's mm-hmm. the perfect sort of thing to to bring in those supplemental materials to to make some connect. You know, okay, we got a sandbox and it's got a bunch of stuff all over the place, but there's a lot of empty space. Well, right. go, go to those third party yeah. folks, and you can fill in a lot of that right. empty space. Well, speaking of those third-party folks, um, you know, I wrote a product called The Creed of Oral because one of the things that disappointed me about the book is, you know, I'm not a huge Forgotten Realms fan, right? But when I looked about when I looked up things about Oral online on on like the Forgotten Realms wiki or whatever, I found out Oral has like 
a whole church structure. There's actually a church of oral. They do like they have celebrations in freaking Waterdeep, okay, uh, with them running around naked, jumping into ice pools and stuff or something. I mean, like there's like there's this whole setup of oral having an entire church, and it's a pantheistic society. So it makes sense that some people, you know, some gods get worshipped at certain times and whatnot. And there's a whole church structure. And there's also a cult structure for any any evil god is going to have also a cult structure sitting sort of next to and parallel to the, the church structure itself. But there's nothing about the cult of oral or the church of oral in this book. There's nothing. There was even stuff about uh, the, the church of oral and the cult of oral in the Legacy of the Crystal Shard, which was a D&D Next product, but they didn't put any of that in here. And so, like, for me, I was very disappointed at that because they threw in Asmodeus and they threw in a cult of Levistus. And it's kind of like, what are all these cults? But you didn't put the cult of the main villainous goddess in here? Like, it makes no sense. So I wrote a whole, you know, 23-page, 25-page product and put it on DMs Guild to address that particular element of this adventure which i really think that for me is the big hole of this adventure like anything else any small hole i can fill in i can make connections i can do all those things but to not include the cult of oral at all was just it was i i didn't i didn't understand it at all so i did it myself and then i made it available to other people cool yeah i i, I have it and i've i've i haven't taken i've, I've used yours as inspiration mm-hmm. for the cult of oral that i've dropped in mine sure oh yeah well, i mean that's what it's for there. like there's yeah. no yeah I don't, I don't, and in fact, I wrote it, I wrote that for me, for me to use, right? right. And I, you know, and I directly use it and, and all that. And anybody who, who gets that and uses even just the tiniest portion of it, have at it. That's more power to you. However you want to change it is that's what that stuff is for. Yeah. To me, the real value of adding the cult of oral is you can place the blame on the sacrifices on a group that aren't the town speakers because right. you, you, it makes mm-hmm. you like hate the town. If you're like, wow, the right. leadership of this town is murdering yeah. people. Why am I helping? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this shifts right. that and, and yeah. creates an interesting power dynamic where half the people kind of believe the cult of oral should be followed and worshipped mm-hmm. and the other half don't, which means you can't just go wipe them out. Right. Because there's this big, right. you know, it's a powder keg. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. fun. All right. So um, your time is up for a bit. So let's go ahead and mention that if you want to support the show, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Tome Show is where you can go to support the show because... Um, I stopped playing games with other sort of affiliate stuff these days. Um, so there's that. Yeah, so now it's my turn. 15 minutes on the clock. Um, so I've still got my two campaigns going. Um, I've been playing through the one um, that I call Deeper or Deep Darkness that started off as Dragon Heist and then became Curse of Strahd. Uh, and now all the dark powers have been brought to um, Faerun and have chosen champions all over the world. And they've hunted down one of the champions who is the necromancer who killed the halfling's family and also happens to be a Sarak. And so we're doing Tomb of the Nine Gods from Tomb of Annihilation. Um, so, so yeah, it's cool because I figured I'm not going to probably run Tomb of Annihilation as is. Um, this is, gives me a chance to sort of pull out the dungeon um, and, and let them play around with that and have that experience and, and also fight the guy who's on the cover of the DMG because who doesn't want to do that, right? Um, and so that's working out really well. They're really enjoying the the dungeon crawl and the, the puzzle nature, you know, the death trap nature of it all. Um, they're, they're getting through um, the challenges. Like I was really worried about the elemental cells 
um, because that earth cell has the potential to just flat out kill a character. Uh, and and I'm letting the, they're playing it at a level above where the adventure is supposed to end because I figure maybe then it's a little bit less death trappy, a little bit less lethal. Um, and, and but that still would have like wiped out any one of them uh, if, if they were at full hit points, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, they happened to have gone through the cells and skipped over the earth because uh, basically, uh, in the water cell, spoilers for Tomb of Annihilation, I guess. Um, in the water cell, if you eat an oyster, you go to one cell. If you eat a a, a snail, you go to the earth cell. Well, they all ate oysters, uh, and. So they completely skipped over the Earth cell. Um, yeah, and then they and, and we're having fun with things like there's uh, in that next room. There's all the the clay, the terracotta soldiers, and you have to be really quiet or they come to life. And um, there's the one teleportation pad that's malfunctioning, and if you step on it, you disappear. But like a random animal appears in your place. Uh, and so there was a, a, the druid stepped on it and disappeared and a bat appeared in his place. And, and one of the other characters is like, they're, they're, uh, a thing, right? They're a couple. Uh, and so she freaked out because a bat appeared and, and he's the druid. He turns into animals all the time. So maybe he didn't disappear. Maybe he didn't teleport. Maybe he just wild shaped and is now gone crazy and is flying around like a crazy bat thing. So everybody else left and she like ran around like crazy trying to catch this stupid bat. And then she got it and teleported back where everybody else was. And was well, oh, there you are. Why do I have this bat? Yeah. <laughs> so, it has all kinds of fun little moments like that. They still have the little lizard. There's a little lizard that you find that was awakened. Uh, that's just running around. Some druid awakened it and some other adventuring party brought it in. It's just been hiding inside of the mouth of one of the devil faces for a while. Um, you know, and they've they've worked their way through those things. They've worked their way th- now through the the gears of hate, which I was a little worried about. The gears of hate level um, has the potential to basically just end a campaign uh, if things go wrong. If you set the gears in a certain way and you split the party, and uh, you know, like the party was in the, was one person was running all the the gears and turning them in in the control room, and everybody else was out in the gears. And they got to us, and, and but of course they had no idea what was going on. So he just keeps pushing buttons and, and pulling levers, and things are turning and whatever. Um, and they decided to start doing the fight. There's the the one gear where there's five cabinets to different planes, and you open them up, and bad guys come out, and you have to fight what's in all five of them in order to open the portcullis, right? Uh, so they were they were in the middle of that fight, um, and uh, he kept futzing with stuff. So one of the the, the one the warlock bard character was finally like, you know what? The alignment right now is really good. We have access through both exits of this gear to other places that we haven't been yet. Uh, And so we counted out the distance and she, she was able to just dimension door over grab him and dimension door back with him. Uh, And so they managed to set it up in, in like the perfect situation. They'd already explored everything they needed to explore. And they ended up in that last gear with the two areas they hadn't been to open um, and so uh, the next session was just a bunch of fights with things in the cabinets, and then they went down to the big Mastodon room, which is a bunch of fights with a bunch of devils, um, which I was able to – I connected a little bit because the last thing that appears is the only – it says the only devil that will talk to them and possibly bargain is the Aaron Yes at the end. Uh, and and I decided because the, the one – that bard warlock character is a tiefling from Dis. 
and lives in constant fear that Dis is going to come after her, uh, that that her soul is is owed to somebody and that they're going to come after her someday. And so I decided, well, rather than just have combat after combat for this whole session, that Aaron, yes, like knows you. You've seen her in the court of Dis before, you know, and she, and there's this moment of oh. This is where you've been. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and then they fight and, you know, whatever. So it was a big combat session. Uh, but then I, I don't know why I didn't plan or think of this, but there's not that much after that before you end up in the bottom level and you're knocking on a Sarah's door. Uh, which is, and so they ended up going down and, and, and knock, I, knocking on a Sarah's door. Right. <laughs> they got down there and I'm like, and I'm like, oh. Now they're now we're dealing with the Sone sisters and we're dealing with a Sarak pretty soon and I didn't really think through like I know I wanted to prep more before those things happened um, and luckily I got lucky because getting through the different trials to unlock the parts of the door took the rest of the session so then I was able to finish the session with um, and you come out of the last trial and there's these three hags that fade into existence in the middle of the room uh, and they cackle at you with the exact voice that you've been hearing cackling at you every night when you go to sleep and you have these horrible nightmares. I've been using their nightmare ability. Uh, every time the party uh, uh, takes a long rest, I roll a d3 and that many hags were in the ethereal with them. So even when they put up their, their Lehman's tiny hut, the hags are already inside the bubble. So then they just appear, uh, give, some, give 1d3 characters nightmares. And, and I, I pre-wrote 20 different nightmares. Um, and, and they're pretty horrifying. The, the characters are like, oh my God, you, you did 20 of those, Jeff? you got a sick mind. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> That's what it takes. Um, so yeah, so, so now, they've, now they're facing off with the hags. Uh, and so um, I've got questions with what's coming next, with what's coming, and by next I mean tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so any assistance you all want to give in that regard, I've, I've still got half my time. Uh, we can talk about that, and then if there's time, I can talk about my descent into Avernus game a little bit more. Um, but my two questions are, uh, or I guess maybe three. We'll see how it goes. Um, the Stone Sisters. How much? Nine hags are really low CR for this point in the dungeon, right? They're like CR five. Mm-hmm. Um, and after they fight the hags, I, I feel like the right thing to do is if they want to take a long rest before they go through, like now they can because the hags aren't tormenting them anymore. That's been the whole sure. thing. Yeah. Um, so how much of a challenge do I want to make the hags? How much should I boost them? Um, or should I use them as try to just keep them as is and use them as a resource drain uh, before so the I'll, fight? I'll tell you something that I did when I ran the hags and it made a big difference and it freaked them out, which is I took Rob Schwab's 5e spells that he created uh, called um, the 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 Tome of Bull Bull or something like that. Uh, it's Rob Schwab's name mixed up. Um, and it's a bunch of spells that are in shadow of the demon lord but with fifth edition fifth edition statistics and i loaded them up with spells like that so they were like teleporting characters half in and half out of a wall like the fly you know or they were you know exsanguinating all the blood out of people or they were you know all kind tearing bones right they can they can like cast a spell and rip bones out of part of your body really really gruesome and terrifying stuff that that you know you can scale up 
did you pump up did you pump up their hit points so they'd have a chance to do that i you know you know how i play my hand is always on that dial Right. Right. So if it's too easy, boom, you turn that. Well, and that that's uh, after and after we had that conversation back when I was running out of the abyss with the demon lords. Yeah. Uh, I've been using that advice that we, that you gave me at that point, like constantly. That's my go-to so, now. So yeah, and, and but, a lot of people, I've, I've seen a lot of people go with it, which is they in a fight like that, you maximize their hit points, well, and you and, can always. And I've come, I've come to the conclusion, like it, it doesn't even make sense for a unique creature's stat block right. to, to, to list hit average hit points. Yeah. They're unique. Right. What's They're, Orcus's average hit points? Right. right. Orcus isn't average. He's just Orcus. How many hit points does he have? <laughs> not not yeah. what is the average of all Orcus's hit points. <laughs> Orcai? Is that the plural of Orcus? Orcai? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so, so a Night Hag uh, Maximize has 165 hit points. If you want to stay on spec, right? If you... If you don't want to be, you know, if you don't want to violate it too much, you can, you know, you got 165 instead of 112. So you can turn that dial up. You could, but you can beef them up more if you want, because they're unique, right? And they've been working there for a while. I would certainly give them a, a fair bit of spells uh, that are, that are interesting and unique. I, 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 you know, what I, I think what I did is I had that list. I actually printed it out and I crumpled it up and I like sprayed red paint on it to make it look bad and they saw me whip it out of my bag i'm like what the hell is that and i'm like <laughs> oh, i think it's called the blasphemies of, of vorb wallish or something right but that's when like, you were playing blasphemies yeah that's when you were playing in person though yeah right we were playing in person, <laughs> but still so yeah. the, but the idea that they had a bunch of unique spells and and you can kind of pick whatever levels you want right they can just just cast them and uh yeah so they could be they could be really nasty you know and you've got you know you've you've got a lot of room on your side to make the make the battle because what level are they yeah so 13 is you know they're you know gloves come off at you know eight yeah so what i did was have have your has your party run into the three dolls like the yeah i did that basically as soon as they walked in i had the, the dolls come up to them right but so so they so like what I, one of the things I did was I, I really like foreshadowed the fact that these, these dolls are the souls of the little children, right? They, like they learned about it from, from in, you know, coming into contact with these dolls and then, and then throughout the times that they come into contact, they talk to them and they, then they learn, you know, that, that th- these are like trapped children souls, right? right. No, that, yeah, they, they've learned that. In fact, in fact, that was actually one of the nightmares I did. So the the halfling right. character, the halfling character's family was killed by the necromancer. One of his right. nightmares was he envisioned this room and saw the dolls, and then saw his own daughter turn into a doll. And oh, so he, when he when he saw the yeah. dolls, he freaked out. Like, is one of them her? Because the necromancer Sarah right. killed his daughter. It could be, but. Right. So, so one of the things I did was when the party was fighting the hags, I had the dolls there and rather than like, you know, like these dolls, like they give you the the party some charms or something rather than do that. I had the hags use the knowledge that the party had about the sad backstory of these dolls against them. And I had the hags like taunt them with, you know, oh, you know, if you kill me, um, you know, I just get to I get to uh, you know siphon off the soul of of that child over there that I've been storing just for this purpose you know and so then they were like oh crap well how are we going to kill this hag if we can't really kill it because we were tr- we were going to rescue oh, these shoot, do- yeah. child right so it there there became a sort of a different 
um, a, a different focus of the battle. It wasn't just to get rid of the hags and kill them because they could have eas- they easily killed them, right? They could easily defeat them in 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 mano a mano combat, right? Like they they totally can just they're just going to devastate those hags, right? The hags might be creepy for about one round and then they're just going to get decimated. So I had to like come up with some way to to make it so that the the dolls like mattered, right? And like you know any time the like any time any damage would be done to one of the hags i think i had it be uh uh peggy dead bells or whatever any time damage was done to her they would hear in their mind the the sound of the tricycle wheel or what, whatever the unicycle wheel going from one of the doll like and hear it like kind of like just a creepy kind of in pain thing where oh you know i'm i'm getting weaker kind of thing and so the party had to figure out oh crap we have to get rid of these without actually killing them this way because then they're going to claim the souls of those children for good and so how did they how did they do that uh they ended up trapping i can't spend years now uh they (laughs) somehow trapping they like they ended up trying to trap the hags they they ended up having to try to trap the hags in the in the machine right in the whatever you call it uh, yeah in the in the soul monger um, and then try to free the children. So, yeah, they had to kind of beat the hags down and mm. then run away so that they didn't kill the hags all the way, but they had them weakened enough that they could get away. And then the hags, of course, followed them. And, yeah, so it became a much more dynamic thing at the end for them because they they ended up doing that. And then, of course, then they had to face the soulmonger and try to figure well, out how to – Yeah, I like, the, I like these ideas because they're not <laughs> – Part of my my thinking and my concern is I don't necessarily want the Zone Sisters to be a boss fight boss fight because the next room is like the boss fight of all boss fights, right? Right, so, right, right. So boss fight followed by boss fight. But I want it to matter because like the the sisters are creepy and, and they they love to hate them, you know. Uh, I, I think I told you I, I do weekly monologues uh before each game and this week's monologue wasn't a monologue because it was the three sisters talking to each other um (laughs) and and they're like oh well that wasn't like creepy jeff doing three different hag voices (laughs) so there's even the one that has like the bag over her head with the animals in it so so i took my hat here and i just i talked like this so it was all muffled because she had a bag over her head (laughs) so um yeah, I really play. I really played up the creepy factor of them. They would have like that one with the bag would have like half dead animals crawling out of the eye socket in the bag, and just it, I just made it so gross that the party wanted nothing to do with them, but they knew they needed to neutralize them somehow. But yeah, you're right. Like I, I had the same conundrum. I didn't want to have boss fight, boss fight, right? And so I, I made it so that they ended up combining that by by sort of running away and luring the the. So so. so here's my other conundrum, and now I'm already over time, but that's fine. Um, What my my other conundrum is that boss fight is the 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 final fight. I don't want to do the you fight the Atropol and then a Sarak shows up afterwards sort of thing. I I want a Sarak to be either be there from the beginning or show up uh, halfway through or whatever. Uh, I don't want to. I want it to be both at once. Mike seems to be worried about that. He, I mean, so if you play a Sarah rack like he should be played, there's no way anybody should survive that. 
So, <laughs> I mean, he can throw like he should be throwing fireballs and lightning fireballs and lightning bolts as especially as if especially action. if you follow the Sly Flourish guide right. to changing up his spells, which I've already read. Right. Yes, right. And and he's he's really even at thirteenth level. Like I don't. I mean, he's a Sararak, right? He should be really hard to beat at any level. Um, you know what? So you know I, what's, I had a different circumstance. You know, with you know what's super in. underpowered though? Uh, that I find, uh, even though everybody's super scared of it, is that the the sphere of annihilation is not a yeah, scary attack. <laughs> no, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I maximize the damage on the sphere, and then it's a little bit scarier. Like it yeah, except, except then the party gets a hold of it, and they get to run around. No, you, you just you know make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> It's at the end of the campaign. They want to take a sphere of annihilation. Go with the gods, right? Like, like so, what? What are you sending them off to something else? Are they heading? Is, is this like oh, they open the door and Frostmaiden's on the other side? Uh, or no, are you ending no, the no. I'm ending the campaign, but not. I mean, the campaign could go on for somewhere between one to six more months, depending on what they do. Wow. Um, so one to six more months in Tomb of Annihilation, or are they had no, 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 just the other other homebrew stuff. Okay, got uh, it. Yeah. Although there's, I mean, the, there's the potential they could go into the Dungeon of the Mad Mage and end up taking on Halister uh, because he's connected to the whole thing too. But yeah, so I, I mean, I'll tell you both. Both my groups were pretty. They were like 12th level when they were facing the Atropal, and and they knew, like both of my groups knew, there was no way they were going to beat a Sarak, right? And so he showed up, and like he, I forget, they had some kind of negotiation with them, Right. And and I think ended up like one guy joined his coven of of liches. Right. Like, you know, one guy, he was like, look, you, you destroyed, you know, you destroyed my Atropol and that sucks. But if you're willing to join my cause, because I've seen what you can do, you know, that's good. And guys like, yeah, I'm in. You know? Well, so so the reasoning. Um, so the the connection to all of this is that a Sarak is the champion of Tenebris, the dark power of liches. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the game, and so the idea is they're trying to destroy all these champions because they haven't quite figured out yet that after you've destroyed a champion, the dark power can just pick another one, um, you know, or they come back or whatever. Yeah, but but um, I've also been like part of this is integrated into the whole story because um, dealing with the soulmonger is how they figure out the magic that they can use to draw in the power of the dark powers so that it, the end game is if they can figure out how to draw them in and then go elsewhere in, an, in another adventure, figure out how to then trap them back into the Amber. That's the end game of the whole thing. Now, what other champions they go after in the meantime, that's, that's up to them. Um, but I've already figured out which two are going to give them that information that could then lead to the end. And that's why I say it could be over in a month or it could be over in six months, depending on how they should decide to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of toy- like I was toying with the idea of like the order will matter if they decide to take out a Sarak first, then the p- the power of Tenebris of the dark power that he has in him then gets sucked into the soulmonger, and that should be enough power then to to birth the death god. And what the hell are the consequences of that? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I would if if it were me, I would I would let the circumstances play out however they play out, right? And think to yourself like when and how and why would a Sarak show up? So like in mine, I knew that a Sarak was on another planet with a bunch of liches carving an ancient pyramid out of a dead world, right? And that's where he was. That was when that's he pretty specific. 
I know. Well, I, you know, I like I like to keep my finger on where Eric is and <laughs> at all times. And, yeah, and I'm like that would be something he would do, right? Like, what what does Eric do on a daily basis? Well, he probably has twelve liches carving a temple. You know, doing very careful <laughs> carving a temple, an ancient dead temple, out of the, the core of a dead world. And and then he feels like he knows that they like somebody just went into the chamber with the soulmonger. He can tell. So then it was a matter of him opening up a gate and stepping through to see what happens. And that takes him a few rounds, right? He doesn't do it right away. Or, you know, he has to like find his second band. Hey, you you keep carving the temple up. I'll be back in a little bit. I gotta figure out what the hell's going on with my with my baby Atropol. Um, and then, you know, and then he would teleport it and maybe he's not ready to find out what's on the other side, right? He's not there with an army, he's just there by himself. He's still a lich. And if you destroy him, you're not destroying a Sararak, right? Where, where is his phylactery? Who the hell knows? Well, actually, right? I have, I have my, in my campaign, I've got a plan for that too, but yeah. Yeah. So, so the point is like, let the circumstances dictate how he comes in and the, what the players decide to do when he shows up. Do they, you know, but, but, you know, I mean, if I were running him and I, when I did run him, he would have wiped the characters, right? Like he's like, they, they're in the middle of a fight with a lot of stuff going on. And then he shows up and starts I've got some work to do tomorrow to figure out how pumped up I, I should or should not make him. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a reason that wizards, you know, blew it by giving a Sararak knock in their arcane lock instead of fireball and lightning bolt. And it's because like his CR, if, as soon as he's doing 35 points of damage or 28 damage three times off of his turn, <laughs> his, his, you know, his difficulty goes so high up that it's not even, you know, it's not calculable, but that's what he would do. Right. Like who doesn't, you know, if you could guess, what what player wouldn't memorize Fireball and Lightning Bolt if they could do them off turn, right? They all would. It's because they're yeah. awesome spells. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't actually end up having my party meet a Sararak at the end of that. They they destroyed the Atropol, and that ended up curing the Death Curse, or however you want to say that, um, which... I changed how I did the death curse in my game anyway, but like that, but that sort of, that was their main goal. They didn't, I didn't really ever do any kind of foreshadowing for a Sarah rack in, in, cause I, you remember I was running this and I knew that two of my part, two of my players were moving literally, like literally in real life moving across the country. Right. So, so I had a short amount of time to run the entire adventure. So I only had like eight sessions to do it. And so I knew that I was not going to have time to give them the true Acerac experience. So I just left him completely. Yeah, out. no. So uh, killing Acerac is literally like the main reason they're there because that is the necromancer that killed the halfling's wife and child. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So taking on Acerac is the point of, you know, death yeah. curse, Atropol, death god, whatever. That's secondary. Uh, but this, this. Right gotta go is, is well <laughs> let him let, let him try <laughs> well, so i go. mean you know in my D, D brief game in the last session they actually had a, one of the boss fights with the main the main villain larilac who is a lich and he brought a whole undead water army with him and because they you know he was leading the undead army under the sea and uh and that battle took the entire session the entire four-hour session because he is so, I mean, I, you know, I made him a, a lich that's formidable, right? Like, it's easy to mess up the lich and just not run it, like, much more yeah. than just some other kind the of stat caster. Is, the the yeah. stat block is bananas. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I made him the, I mean, he is one of the main villains in that entire campaign. So they they had a run for their money, and they almost bought it. I mean, they almost bit the dust. 
but they did defeat him in the end. It's interesting um, that that Mike is talking about how tough liches are, given that, that wasn't it your Curse of Strahd game where they walked in at like sixth level and took out Exathantar in like two it, rounds? It wasn't it wasn't sixth, but it was yeah, they, they beat him pretty hard. Aserak is not like other liches. Like Aserak's hit points are three times higher. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he has, I, an, AC lich, of, he has lich, an AC of twenty six yeah. with shield. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The the lich that I put against my fifteenth level party last couple weeks ago was he had four hundred hit points. Yeah. Right. Because if I did, he'd be gone. He's the only guy that can cast two ninth level spells. Right. Like nobody else can cast multiple ninth level spells. Uh, Well, although, um, who is it? The matron mother in Minzer Baranzan. Um, have you looked, have you looked at her stat block? Uh, not in a while. She casts all spells at will, including at ninth level spells. (laughs) 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 Right. It's redonkulous. What? In, In what? The Morden Canaan matron mother doesn't do that. No. No, I think this was... Oh, you mean the one they published in Out of the Abyss? Yes. Yeah, where they modified a... Yeah, that's... It's also my example of the most ridiculous modification of a stat block you can do. Because it's like, use a drow stat block. Increase his challenge rating from one-fourth to 22. (laughs) Ridiculous list of, like, all the changes you have to make. Yeah. but one, I, would, I would make fun of him, except we kind of did the same thing in Fantastic Land. Sure, so. but 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 one of those changes is they can cast all their ninth level cast spells ninth at level spells at will. Then why isn't she just meteor swarming everything all the time? <laughs> and that's and honestly, when I when I run a lich, my thought is let them do whatever the hell they want. Like just let them cast whatever spells they want whenever they want. Right? They're liches, you know. Yeah. I'm more inclined to do that with like demon lords or or what have you than I am. Liches are up there. You yeah, know. I mean, in, in my... They've been practicing spells yeah. for a thousand years. Yeah, well, in, 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 my, in my homebrew campaign, like, <laughs> liches are basically almost gods, so, you know, you might as well just let them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, I mean, they're they're wouldn't let cast multiple ninth level spells. Although, yeah. why wouldn't they pull out a scroll? Like, let me do another one of those, you know. <laughs> yeah, we have successfully now <laughs> talked for almost an hour, and we haven't even gotten to Mike's turn yet. Mike's turn! <laughs> so, uh, before we do, I'm going to cut my, my own time off because we're way over. Um, before we let Mike go, though, uh, I should let people know that we have all kinds of social media. The Tome Show is on Facebook. It is on Twitter. It is has a Discord Okay, that's that's our social media. <laughs> so uh, find us in those places. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. Uh, that is it. Mike, you have, you know, are, as long as you want to talk. We are so late that the screen on my computer went to that, like, real dark mode. Like, you need to start <laughs> thinking about going to bed, right? Like, all the blue is out, and now it's all red. Uh, so I am running two different Frost Maiden games. I'm running a Sunday game and a Wednesday game. As you uh, do. If you want to hear about my Sunday game... Uh, you can watch my Twitch show Sunday mornings, or you can go to YouTube and watch my shows there where I talk all about the Sunday game. So I'm not going to talk about the Sunday game here. Uh, instead, I'm going to talk about my Wednesday game. Um, the Wednesday game, like like Sam, they just faced, they're, they're actually in the middle of the fight with Moose Jaws, uh, which is awesome, right? And and uh, an interesting, so so they, where, where did they go? So they did Good Mead and the Mead Must Flow, they did Dugan's Hole. I should pull up a list. Um, they've done, a, I would say, about half of the town quests. Um, they did uh, uh, Foaming Mugs. They did Hold Up. They did Mead Must Flow. Uh, they did A Beautiful Mine. Uh, and now they are doing The White Moose. So this will be, I guess, the halfway, the halfway point for them. 
Um, the beautiful mind was interesting. I did, I did some interesting things there. The characters have all of these secrets. And one of the secrets that one of the characters has is that he was the one kidnapped by mind flayers and then the ship crashed and he kind of got out. So he heard the crystal that's in the, in the, in the mine calling to him and he was both like horrified and drawn to it at the same time and he picked it up and it tried to dominate him there's like the personality of a mind flayer in it right that was has been trapped underground for like a million years you know and the soul of this mind flayer wants to like hey i know that they're out there bring it's sort of like et but with mind flayers right and i i think that that's kind of a really fun you know like oh he just wants to go home to his people but they're mind flayers right so so I think there's a lot of fun there. Uh, they faced the Grells that were there uh, and that or Grell that is there. But I made it too because my group is really hard. Probably the number one problem I have with this group is that uh, we have a um, star, a star cleric. Uh, what I think the twilight cleric and the twilight cleric has a stars like night ability that grants one uh, D six plus level temporary hit points to everybody all the time for no action. So it essentially creates this massive damage threshold that all of the characters basically have for any battle. And if you if you don't bust through the threshold, you never actually touch the real hit points. So I'm definitely turning that damage dial up, right? And A, I'm throwing more creatures at him and I'm throwing the damage dial up. And um, and that's that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that scales over time because monster damage will probably go up faster than that thing goes up, but it's really weird to deal with from a from a mechanic standpoint, and I'm not a fan. I think it's I think it's you know significantly more powerful than like the temp hit point gun that the artificer has. Uh, so anyway, so they they went to Lonelywood, and I've been tugging on a lot of the character backstories. So there's in Lonelywood and in the in the in the White Moose quest. Uh, Ravison, the the uh, frost druid, is the one that's been awakening a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, animals and sort of doing this thing. She did it because her sister died. So my wife's character, Yepa, uh, was one of three druids that were trained by an arch druid, and the other two were Ravison and her sister. So she knows Ravison, and and you know when she heard about the name, she's like, I'm pretty sure this is the one that I've met before. They've all been reincarnated multiple times, at least once. So they don't look like who they looked like back when the Archdruid trained them. But, you know, who knows? And they heard all about the moose. And, and my wife was like, oh, I can't wait to see Moose Jaws. Right. She was really excited for Moose Jaws. So then they found the They found the um, uh, the elven tomb that's there. Uh, but the the drow character, who's a drow of uh, drow cleric of uh, illustrate um, illustrate. Uh, really both wanted a temple, you know, mentioned that he wanted a temple uh, and has this strong connection. So I made it a temple to uh, illustrate. I keep saying illustrate, illustrate, right? I'm, um, I'm so not used to like, you mispronouncing these it, names. So I know it's like illustration. <laughs> it That's is. how I try to remember it. It's uh -huh. like illustration, illustrate. So, uh, so I reskinned that place into a temple of uh, illustrate, right? Which makes it work well with full moons and all this other stuff. And, and, and my, my thought was what, you know, the problem is like you build a home base and it's like out in the middle of nowhere. They're never going to go back to it again. They're busy. So I was like, what if it can move? Like, what if it's sort of, you know, it, it, it can sort of, it, it sits in this twilight grove. And every time there's a full moon, if you, if you, if a, if a priestess of, of, um, illustrate does a ritual dance, 
can move it from one grove to another. So, so you know, the, the priestess can actually move it and like move it near Bryn Shander toward an elven grove near Bryn Shander, or then move it further out. And that way they can, on, not all the time and not to any place that they choose, uh, but like once, once a month, they can move the temple to wherever it's convenient. Yeah, so they went to the temple and they knew that the temple had been desecrated. Uh, I churned pumpkin, pumpkin spice lot. So they, they met the um, Banshee. Uh, that's one of the random encounters on the way. And they talked to her and she was a dead priestess of uh, Illustrate. So I was like, oh, so now they have this sort of relationship. They convinced her that they're trying to do good. She was like, are you another one of the defilers that have come here to, to wreck my temple? And they're like, no, no, we're cool. So she was out there. So I turned the mummy into her body. So when they were able to go through the puzzle, which is kind of a weird puzzle because you have to cut your hand off or find a human hand. And that didn't really fit the illustrate. I kind of blew. I had to improvise that there was this old story about a, a priestess of illustrate who sacrificed her own hand for some reason. And that was why there was a thing. But, it, you know, I think I think I got a free pass from the players on that one. So um, they did it and they opened it up. And when they did, her spirit went into her body and became like this mummy thing. And she's like, OK, I'm going to rest here until you figure out you know, the rest of the temple, but then I'll come out and then, you know, so now they have a, a major domo for their base, who is this former priestess, undead priestess that is now, you know, undead drow priestess who is, is now their major, uh, their major domo. Uh, so then they went into the back crack in the wall into the thing and there is Ravison and Ravison is talking about how like, you know, civilization and society is a blight and, it, you know, the sentience is horrifying and the whole, you know, all basically like talking like Cole from true, true detective the whole time about like how the world should just fall apart. And, and it'd be like the best thing that can happen is if we all just, you know, stopped having kids and died off. So she's kind of saying the same thing, right? Like, like all of 10 towns needs to just freeze over. I'm there. I'm, I'm doing the will of the, of, of the, of the frost maiden. And we're going to do this, you know, and, and, you know, but also kind of interacting with, um, uh, uh, with Yepa as well. And I think it, it kind of went too short and I think Yepa didn't have much of a chance. My wife's character didn't have enough of a chance to really kind of like get into the relationship of what about the, you know, our mentor didn't tell us to do this, you know? And she's like, yeah, except they murdered my sister. <laughs> you know? So there's like a lot of good reasoning. And so then they, they, she, they, one of the characters is like, forget it. You know, I attack her, throw a guiding bolt at her. She throws ice storm. And as soon as the ice storms over, like a mist forms and here comes moose jaws smashing out of nowhere with like his you know guillotine like hide and red you know glowing blue eyes and immediately hit one guy and knocked him to zero with one shot right just bang and so he's tearing around she summoned two more dire wolves so it's her and two dire wolves now and um you know and then the problem was it was it was hitting time so i said okay we're gonna we're gonna end we're gonna end the session here uh and the feedback that i got from from one of the players was like it was all of it was like all of the hooks all at once like we had one battle that had Moose Jaws and Ravison and the temple and all of it's happening. Like, and I, I couldn't process all of the things that were happening and I didn't even know how to react when she showed up. Right. Like, and so I'm like, Oh, that's kind of interesting that I probably, you know, I poured on like, here's all of the, you know, here's all of the hooks are all over at the same time. Right. But it's kind of like, well, that's sort of how the adventure is written. Never <laughs> a good excuse, but that's kind of how it worked out. Um, so I don't know. The, the other problem I'm running into is that uh, I have slow leveled them and I think they are frustrated by being slow leveled. Right. Like I told them that they have to basically complete four full quests that doesn't include killing Sephic, uh to level to four. 
And they're like, we have been for we have been third level for like five sessions, you know, and they're they're used to leveling even faster than that. So, um, you know, I don't know if I will level them up after Moose Jaws. Um, but the problem is we still have like half the city quest left and I want to do all the southern ones. I want to do uh, Black Swords and Unseen and um, uh, Toil and Trouble, you know, like those those three in particular, mm-hmm. like they'll be a lot of fun. I, I ran into so, that in in uh, Dragon Heist as well. I had my players were getting real frustrated for a while. I think we talked about it back then. They were getting real frustrated for a while because it's like, oh, my gosh, we've like we've done so much. Why right. can't we and level still, up? <laughs> you know? yeah, and the reason why it's like I gave you first to second level in an hour. Well, right. right. <laughs> and that's that's part of the reason. And then the other part of the reason was because we're running Curse of Strahd after this and I can't level you too fast or you'll be too high yeah. a level to run that that's, adventure. That's the way I feel about this. Like there's so yeah. much material in chapter one. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, te- there's and, there's and chapter two and yeah. chapter two. Like I, I've I've been meshing chapter one and chapter two info because once they're level three or four like they can actually yeah somewhere around there they can accomplish any of the chapter one and two quests yeah so i just sort of they're all mushed together yeah so i'm i think i'm gonna skip some of them like lake monster and mountain climb i'm probably gonna cut oh yeah Right. Yeah, I, I, I've only i i totally i just left out some altogether i didn't even ever hint at them or anything yeah. yeah, and black maybe black swords. I think unseen. I don't know. I'm gonna have to look at the ones that are left. But I think the I don't know. I, the the, the un, unseen the is oh, good go though because unseen yeah, it ties introduces into the Dwergar. Yeah, yeah. Right. but everything else is basically throw away. Yeah. Well, the the, the, the expectation sword. is not that they do all of the quests. No, right? it's not. That's right. right. I That's don't know right. how many they. I, I I'm not sure. I, I I I'll have to go back and look at how many they expect you to complete. Yeah, they, they. I mean, I could look it up, but it, I think it's four in chapter one to get they only you to, expect you to, to. No, no, four to get you like to level, to level two, I think, and then three more or something gets you to level. Like they want you to, or it's maybe I'm like doing, that. and maybe it's half. I think that. it was so, faster than that. Yeah, yeah sure. it's so the characters they, advance to second level after their first quest. Right, right. Then, then they advance to the third her, level after completing three quests, and then fourth it, after five quests. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm not far off. Like, I'm, you know, yeah. that that's pretty close to what I did. Yeah, because there's 10, then there's the t- then there's like 10 right. or however many so, in Chapter 2, right? So, yeah. So their yeah. expectation is that you'll have completed eight quests, but they're also at eight of 12 because they're including the Twinga quest, which I, I don't think that, you know, I don't know that I would recommend the Twinga quest. I don't know how you feel about it, but that one uh, was, the weird thing is like you don't learn anything. Well, so for me, the, what I did was I used it as a way to introduce Velen Harpel to them, and she was using it as a way to find people in Tin Towns that are actually powerful enough to withstand all the crap that's going on so that she yeah. could use them as tools to help her find Ithrin, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And so and, – and now – but see, now I can have the Chewingas – help them out if necessary because now they know about them mm-hmm. and the chewingas are kind of little tricksters so you know if they uh, if they get stuck somewhere or if they get stuck in a blizzard you know the chewingas might steal some of their equipment or yeah. you know like it's, I, I guess it's yeah and, and thing, you know and for me the, the the woman that gives the quest for the chewingas is the patron of the characters for my wednesday game oh, so it was yeah. probably good for them but i think like the 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 hunting cephic caltro quest um, you know, is, is kind of a lot more interesting and a lot yeah. more fun. And I, I really wish that that was a better written quest because like, I kind of felt like I needed to do a lot of work to turn it into a murder mystery. And it really, 
that, you know, I've just watched True Detective, so I'm thinking about True Detective all the yeah. time. But it would have been really great to have this, like, you know, hunting hunting this mm-hmm. serial killer across ten towns. Yeah. And the only real clues I had is that, that he's tied to, tar- to to Torgs. And if you figure out that all of his murders line up with all of the Torg visits, you can mm-hmm. figure out, oh, like, we should go check out Torgs. And then you go to Torgs and, like, there he is, right? And so that was a lot of fun to run that. But And, and, and mysteries in general are hard because you never know what clues the characters are going to pick up on. Um, so I don't think anybody's disappointed by the fact that they figured it out basically by me saying like, after some investigation, you recognize mm-hmm. that all the murder, all the murders are taking place at the exact same, you know, right. you've, you've rolled a investigation check and figured this out. Right. Because My- mysteries in D and D are never, they, they almost never, never go well. Yeah. They almost never go well. Cause the only way to do oh. a proper mystery is to be real subtle and subtlety flies like yeah. a lead balloon. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like, I think like, like Sam, I've incorporated the, the, what I call the children of oral, which is like the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the worshipers of oral in 10 towns. And I don't know where that's going to go. Like it might not go anywhere. Right. But, uh, one thing that the, my Wednesday group did is they've hired bards to kind of counteract the propaganda of the children. And they, like, if they can weaken it enough, then they can sort of cut it off and, and, and break it. Right. And if they have bards, they have this, this group of bards they are almost like the Harpers, like a, a local version of the Harpers where if they feed them enough money, the, the bards will go to all of the bars and all the taverns and all the inns and they will, you know, sing songs and give tales and the reputation of the children will slowly go away. So it kind of gives the party a reason to spend money, you know, and a way to sort of influence things without necessarily having to go do it. My other group is kicked in the front door of their, temple and it's going down and killing them all so <laughs> what do you want there but that's going to be wicked fun too yeah so uh that's where my that's where my game is um i i am having i'm having a good deal of fun with it like i said uh i i so i i when i offer my recommendations for it and i'll offer them here too like i really think starting in Bryn shander i was happy with doing that because that first quest works really well uh, I think turning Sephic Caltro's thing into a murder mystery can work well, but it's it's tricky, and I kind of wish somebody had did a better job than I did to try to make an actual, you know, not not even a mystery, like like an investigation to to learn who he is and to eventually hunt mm-hmm. him down. And it doesn't have to be like a mystery, like hey, it turns out it's the guy that's right there. It's always better, like you you know you don't yeah. see him until you see him. That sounds exactly well, you know, like it, the kind of thing that I would expect uh, one of those those people on DMs Guild to publish. Like the right. the, the Evan yeah. guy has uh, as part of the yeah. bundle. Like here's how to turn a Vernus into a sandbox instead of the two yeah. pads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. it's right. and it's really popular. The, all the people in the in the Facebook group, the DMs mm-hmm. uh, of of Descent Facebook group, yeah. talk about that yeah. and whatever. Well, you know, it sounds like that could be a thing that could very easily be done. Yeah. There. What I had to do to I had to actually figure out who the victims were first right. and make sure that I left clues like yep. in their ho- houses, right? Yeah. I had to do timelines. And, yeah. yeah, I had yeah. to like set up like a like uh, like okay, so somebody's been killed in like a lot of the towns, and I think I screwed yeah. it up because it's like they got killed because they didn't follow in the sacrifice, but the sacrifice <laughs> happened at one point, and yet these deaths are taking place over like right. ten ten days. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots right, of things but, that didn't work. But yeah, and so that kind of, I mean, like you can kind of hand wave that though because Torga's only travels so quick, right? And so, right. But thing is, like, so for me, I I just I had it that they were finagling the lottery. So anybody who like yeah, who, who paid off thing. somebody to right. to not draw their name. Yeah. gets it right yeah. and so it's not just like oh they didn't want to do the sacrifice at all it's oh yeah somebody's trying to cheat well, right? i had like people in dugan's hole who lit fires during the night when you weren't supposed to right 
right? Nice. They would they would end up slaughtered, yeah. and they were all killed with ice daggers, so it was easy yeah. to like connect connect yeah. that. One thing I forgot to mention, which I I think worked really well, is I'm I'm big on this like this WWE. Every villain should have an announcer, right? Every villain should have a spokesman <laughs> who you hate more than the villain. And so my and my theme music, you have theme music? So I was like, and theme music, right? And they need to be just obnoxious. <laughs> And sorry. And the, um, <laughs> so yesterday's, I was like, what if it was a bunny? Right. Like, what if Moose Jaws had one and it was like a, a small rabbit or I said like a hare. So I said, I'm, I'm, what's it going to call? I'm like, oh, of course, it's going to be called Thumper. Right. <laughs> so my strong start in the adventure was like the, ca- the players are all the characters are all kind of getting ready to go to the temple and all that. And they look and there's this bunny sitting there, like a hare looking at them with blue eyes. And they're like, oh, who are you? And he goes, oh, hi, I'm I'm Thumper. And they're like, oh, hi, Thumper. I just wanted to see what people look like when they weren't eviscerated. Right. And it's like, you you're all going to die. Like, he's going to rip you open and put your entrails up in the trees, like, like beautiful leaves. But I just had never had a chance. Right. And he was just like this little buddy that's saying this horrible, horrible stuff. And they're all like, God, I hate this. And he's like, Well, can you help us find, like, why would I help you? Right. Like, what, you know, I hate you, but I've never met you, you know, but I don't, I never saw you before. And they're like, Well, can you help us get to Temple? He's like, Sure. Like, Follow me to the temple. And then he runs to the temple. He's like, I'm here, guys. And then wolves come out and like, (laughs) and they're like, of course it was a trap, right? Because they they figured out on the way. They're like, well, he is the the stupid rabbit is taking us to the temple, but we know it's that the rabbit's setting us up too. And then (laughs) the best part was it it then ran off and let the wolves attack the party, including a couple dire wolves. And when one of the characters had a hand crossbow and rolled a one, and I said, you know, I said, like, you look over the wall of the temple and you see like the rabbit's head come up and just go <laughs> and then go back down like the dog in um, uh, Duck Hunt. Right. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I said, it goes back down again. And one of the characters is like, oh, I, I ready an action with an eldritch blast that if that <laughs> rabbit shows his head again. I'm hitting him with it. And I was like, okay. And then like, I was like, well, he's not going to, unless there's another bad roll like that. And sure enough, the crossbow guy fired again, rolled like a three. And like, he comes like, he, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> the rabbit's head clean off. So they, they got that like visceral joy of killing the spokesman. You know? So, so yeah, I did the same thing with Sephic. I had a, there's a member of the children of oral who's like this weak, thin guy who just goes into bars and yells at people about how the gray walker is going to find them, you know, blue eyes, you know, old blue eyes is going to find you, you know, and he, you know, if you try to cheat, like, you know, the gray walker and they're like, you know, like, you know, he's so weak. They don't like, they're not going to go kill this dude because he's not a threat, but all he does is, is basically shit talk for the character that you're going to see later. And it's a great way of sort of, announcing your villain ahead of time and throwing a lot of lore without having the villain just get killed. In That's where these monologues that I'm doing, like it's not in game lore, but, but it's, it's giving them this little, it's just little, and they're not always villains, but it's just little snippets of NPCs. Like at one point they were in the middle of the, the tomb of the nine gods, right? They're facing off death trap, uh, you know, problems and whatever. And then I throw them a, a, a monologue of, Oh, by the way, while all this is going on, I wonder what Jarl Axel is doing back in Waterdeep, you know? <laughs> so I throw in little things like that. But, but you know, like the one, like I just said, the one I just did was um, the Sown Sisters. And right before they fought the Beholder, I did one for the Beholder, you know? And so they get to, because there's all this lore on these NPCs and the characters are never going to find out because they're going to bust in and, oh no, a Beholder, they're going to fight, right? 
Um, right. But this way, I get to, at least the players get to know some of the some of the lore. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I recommend. The other thing I've been doing is making sure that all the villains have multiple names, so they'll still hear about them, but nicknames. they have all these different like. Yeah, all these different nicknames that they get, and and so it, it works really well. Nice. Building villains like pro wrestlers. Yeah. I think that is where we should should wrap things up. I apparently have extra game prep to do now because uh, right after I got done talking, I checked to see who was in the chat. Uh, and when I looked at the users, one of them was one of my players. So now I have to do something completely. <laughs> oh, no. I have to do something completely different than everything we oh, talked about. No. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, uh, we'll see how that goes. Throw a Sarak at him. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if they know; it's not going to help. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Maybe it'll so it'll pre- make her worried so before the yeah. before the big fight tomorrow. All right, so uh, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. This has been behind the DM screen. We are three DMs, and that's the end of the episode. So say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.